Good morning. That was nice, Bart. I almost started crying. I thought I was dying. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be with you. Um, just, I just need a moment just to look and see who's here. <laughs> oh, so many friends. <laughs> Thank you for uh, being here today to worship the Lord and uh, to hear the word of God proclaimed. You know, um, as Bart said, we live in Ethiopia. We've been there for uh, almost four and a half years now. And so when we come back, I, I notice more the differences, the cultural differences. Oh, hi. <laughs> uh, between, they were students of mine. <laughs> um, they, between America and Ethiopia. And there are a lot of differences. For example, church typically lasts about three to four hours. You ready? <laughs> Sermons are longer. <laughs> and uh, people sit really close together, like they're kind of almost sitting on a chair together. So it, if you feel someone moving next to you, that's normal in Ethiopia. Um, what else? Uh, sometimes in church, especially the more rural churches, the men and the women don't sit together. They sit on different sides of the sanctuary, and often the children sit right in the front. And that's always interesting because whenever, if I have the opportunity to preach in a church and there's children, then they want to come and see me. They're wandering up. <laughs> They're, somebody's grabbing them. But a lot of times the kids just sit in the front by themselves with no adults there. So lots of, lots of differences. The other thing is I, most of the time when I speak in churches, I have a translator. And if any of you have ever spoken using a translator, you know you talk and then they talk. And so there's like time in between uh, for thinking of what else you might want to say. <laughs> so this is different for me. So I've got to say all my words all together today. So <laughs> be patient with me, please. <laughs> also, typically, I don't have uh, any media when I'm speaking in churches. I do when I am teaching. But so, uh, and this is a little bit different than what I'm used to. So they're going to help me out if I, if I get lost on my, my uh, pro presenter today. Anyway, to Oh, yeah, yes, I, yeah, he does, you're right. <laughs> Good point. Thank you for taking the pressure off. <laughs> okay, so that just, uh, that's kind of my, some introductory thoughts from me about being here. Um, but the one thing I do want to say is we serve the same God no matter where we live, right? My friends in Ethiopia, they worshiped earlier today, and they worship the same God that we worship here, and they read the same scriptures and we, were taught, we heard about and we sang about the, the breath of God. The same breath of God is in us that's in my Ethiopian friends. And that is so encouraging to me to think about the unity uh, that we have with our brothers and sisters uh, around the world. And so just want to encourage you with that today. So I, what, as Bart said, I'm going to finish out this series that you've been doing here at Fullness on the first and second Thessalonians. And so we're going to be looking at chapter 3 of uh, 2 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there in your Bible. So uh, Paul, um, these letters were written by Paul. They were trying to encourage, and they were wanting to he was wanting to teach the church at Thessalonica. And right after he wrote 1 Thessalonians, he realized there were still some issues going on. Even though the church was in pretty good shape, there were a few issues that had popped up. So he wrote this second Thessalonians. And one of the 
reports he had heard was that they, they had been taught that the day of the Lord had already happened or was in the process of happening. So he, part of what he was doing was writing to correct that wrong thinking. Um, he, you know, as a good apostle that he was, he was concerned about truth being taught. He, was, he wanted the church to be grounded correctly. And so he wanted to counter those false teachings. So if you remember, these letters are really written to encourage the believers to live wisely and responsibly in the present while waiting on the Lord to return. And they wanted, he wanted them to have hope. And so I would say they were in the same position that we're in today. We're trying to wait patiently and live well while we're waiting with hope for the Lord to return. And we can, I think all of us can understand this. And as the days get more and more wicked, our temptation, it might be to get really worked up, to get really anxious. For some of us, that's what we do. And for others, we get depressed or just want to lay low. And all around the world, there are people who are giving up. And there are people who are also going crazy. And it's, it's a universal phenomenon, really. And so Paul is writing not to just the church at Thessalonica, but he's writing to us today. You know, in, where we live in Ethiopia, um, uh, in the, there's been a civil war going on for the last two years. Just right before we came here, there was a truce that was brokered. We're not sure if that's going to hold, but... Hundreds of thousands of people have lost their lives in war in Ethiopia. There's more people in um, combat in Ethiopia than there are in Ukraine and Russia. And I know it's shocking when we heard that. Um, but the, there are things happening. And I just know Ethiopia because I live there, but all around the world, very, very tragic things are happening. And people are scared. People are scared about their present and they're scared about the future. And we're scared in this room. Many of us, are, we feel this free fear uh, about what's the future going to be if this is what the present is like. Um, but Paul does not want anyone giving up. He doesn't want anyone laying low. And so he's writing to encourage us. He doesn't want us to follow false doctrine either. So he's diligently working to teach us and he's cheering us on to be faithful, and, he, and he's trying to see as many people as possible come into the kingdom. And he's writing with one who has authority. He's the P Apostle Paul. Um, in, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. And the Thessalonians had heard some of what he's about to say in this chapter before. Some of it's going to sound familiar to you if you've been here this whole series. But, but he knows they're not doing it quite right yet. So that's why he's hitting it hard again. And Paul knew that if disorder in the church wasn't handled, it was going to be bad. And your leaders here in this church know that too. They know we can't have disorder in the church. We have to have the church lined up with the scripture and doing what is right. And, and I know they're proclaiming the truth to you on a weekly basis. I really enjoyed studying this passage, and I read it several dozens of times in 
um, preparing today, and um, I'm not going to be trying any fancy tricks or anything. I'm just going to preach through what those, this passage says. And um, as I see it, this is where I'm going to try to use this. Okay. The, um, we've got, nope, yep. Yes. Okay, good. Three sections to this um, chapter of chapter three. The first is what I'm calling the ask. The second is the warning. And the final one is the closing. So that's where we are. So let's, um, let's take a look at the ask, which is the first part of the, the uh, passage. So if you want to read along with me here, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So this chapter begins with Paul requesting prayer. And in our reading of this passage, as Bart said a couple weeks ago, we might be tempted to skip some of this beginning stuff, but it's really important. Because Paul was asking them to pray for him. And that's a little bit unusual. Paul doesn't, he does it some, but that's not his normal way. He normally is telling him how he's praying for them. But he's asking them for prayer. And um, there's really a humility to this. There, Paul is the, the teacher. He's the wise one. And he is not afraid to ask them to pray for him. And I think this is a really good reminder for us. For those of us who are leaders or who are in positions of authority, even if you're not, we, we all need to ask others to pray for us like, like Paul did. And there's power in prayer. When um, some of you may have been in church here about three, I think it was three years ago now, um, we, we were having a political situation where we live and there was... Um, there was gunfire right outside our house, and we had gone into our safe space, which is a, our little closet that doesn't have any windows, and we were sitting in there, and we texted Bart, and we said, hey, it's getting dangerous here. We're not sure what's happening. Uh, will you pray for us? And it was right as church was starting. So we were live streaming the service <laughs> while this was happening. So we're hearing bullets, but we're watching fullness, and we're sitting in our safe space, and Pastor um, Bart told Kathy, and Kathy came up and just prayed over us. And what an amazing, like, peace I had just knowing my church is praying for me all the way across the world. Um, and fortunately, the situation resolved after about a week. We left for a, about a week and then came back, and things are, have been fine in our area since then. But we knew we needed prayer. We, we knew we needed the peace of Christ to be prayed over us in that situation. So, in this passage, what exactly is Paul asking them to pray? He's asking them in verse 1, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. 
So the idea here is that the word of God could spread, or it's this idea that the word of God could run freely. I love that image. The word of God is just running freely. And it would not be hindered, but it would be lifted up. And the focus is on the message itself. The word of God would run freely. It wasn't on the messenger. Paul wasn't praying that he would be successful. He was praying that the word of God would be successful, that it would run freely. And he knew that he needed to pray for that and to ask them to pray um, because there were wicked and evil people that were thwarting the gospel or trying to. And he had faced a lot of opposition. You know, unlike the Thessalonian church, which quickly grasped the message and was doing pretty well, a lot of other places that was not the case. There were, they were blocking the advancement of the gospel. And there were some who professed to have faith didn't actually have faith. It's the same way today, isn't it? Some pro- proclaim to have faith, but they don't actually have faith, true faith in the, in the power of Jesus. And opposition to the gospel, of course, will always be present until Jesus returns. Um, there are always going to be people who lack faith. Who, they're going to be wicked and evil people. Um, it, in Ethiopia, I'm sharing just a few Ethiopia things with you today, but in Ethiopia in the 1970s, up until the early 1990s, there was a regime called the Derg, and this was a, a Marxist underpinnings, and they um, hated the church, and they, they shut the church down, and they imprisoned a lot of Christians, and the man who was the CEO of the hospital um, previously of where Nate works, he was put in prison for, I, don't, I think, maybe 10 years. In, in fact, some of the students I teach in the program I teach in are older, and I, one of them in particular was imprisoned for several years for being a Christian when he was a young man. We haven't faced that kind of opposition here, but it's possible. Um, and I love to see this man, that man because he's such a hopeful Christian now. And a lot of the churches, they met in people's homes. They, they continued, and then now they're back, and they're thriving um, churches. But they faced persecution, and they faced opposition. You know, in the, in the world today, there's something like 7.8 billion people, and of those, about 3.5 billion have heard the gospel. So that's almost, more than half haven't heard the gospel of Christ. And for those who are Christians, around 350 million Christians live in places where they, there are high levels of persecution and discrimination. And the gospel is not allowed to run freely in those places. So we need to be praying for those individuals. Like Paul is asking that the gospel in Thessalonica could run freely. We need to pray the gospel in the, around the world would be able to go freely where it needs to go, that the message of the Lord would spread. And we need to pray for those who are facing persecution. Um, there's, there's so much work to be done in the kingdom. There's so much work that, to be done in the kingdom. And praying for those who are engaging in that work in difficult settings, and that could mean here in America. Difficult settings are here as well. But we need to lift our brothers and sisters up and pray for them. Um, so 
I invite you, if you don't know who else to pray for, feel free to pray for me <laughs> and my husband <laughs> because we definitely face some challenges at times. Um, with the hospital he works at is a, it's Soto Christian Hospital. And for the most part, we're allowed to, to share the gospel with people who come in. But um, there are always times when people say, is this a hospital or is this a church? And we get, we get some free... Um, you know, criticism from people, and the time could come where we won't have as much freedom as we do to proclaim the gospel. So please keep praying. Um, and then, continuing on in this passage, in um, chapter, in verse 3, um, Paul says this, the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. So he's reminding them that while they're facing difficulties, uh, God is still faithful. Great message for us today. While, we, while you're facing difficulties, God is still faithful. He's still there. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Um, and he will be the one who protects from the evil one. And Paul encourages them again, saying he has confidence in the Lord about them. And the Thessalonians, like all of us, need to hear that, don't we? We need to be encouraged that we're doing the right things. We're doing good things. That's part of what our leaders need to do for us is, is to encourage us and bless us in continuing the work that we're doing. And then verse 5, he says, mm, let's see. I think I got off. <laughs> Verse 5, I'll read it. Maybe you can get me to this verse. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Um, so the love of God is deep and it's abundant. And Paul is praying that their hearts would be, would be moved in God's love. He also wanted them to love God. But he wants their hearts to be moved in God's love. Are our hearts moved in God's love? He wanted that for them, and God wants that for us. And, and then what is Christ's perseverance that he's talking about? Well, it's in the face of great trial that Christ persevered. In the face of death and horrible suffering, Christ persevered. For the joy set before him, he persevered. But there, I think there's, when I think about this, I also think about something else that Christ persevered through. And and that was, he kept going in the face of the mistakes of the people around him as well. And I don't not know that that's necessarily what Paul is talking about here, but it is part of what Christ persevered through, the, the people making mistakes. And Paul is going to talk about that in a, in a minute. He's going to talk about some brothers and sisters who aren't doing the right thing. And I think Christ, Christ's perseverance is through suffering and difficulty, but it's also his perseverance when things are just foolishness <laughs> around us. And he wants us just to keep going, keep doing the right things, even in those situations. The love of God and the perseverance of Christ on our behalf. The love of God and the perseverance of Christ. The, those two things should change us. They should motivate us. The love of God and the perseverance of Christ should motivate us. Every one of us sitting in this room, they should change us. But obviously, 
some within the church, even in this strong Thessalonian church, they weren't living, living this. They weren't living out of this. And, and they had latched on some, to some other teaching and had moved away from being productive. And they moved into what Paul's going to call busybody, busybodiness. <laughs> and for this reason, then he, Paul goes on to give some warnings, some commands. And this is verses 6 to 15. I'm going to read this whole passage, this whole part of the passage here. Um, verses 6 to 15. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, uh, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work will not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we commend and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. They take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed, that yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So what is Paul talking about here? So the, main, the main thrust of this part of the, the warning he's giving is to tell the members of the church to stay away from those who are being idle and from those who are being disruptive. He's also telling those who are engaging in those behaviors, stop doing that. Stop doing that. And um, the interesting thing about those individuals is a lot of them were just sitting around talking about the return of the Lord. And they were just wait, they were waiting for Jesus to come back. They weren't working. They weren't being productive. They were focused, probably obsessed, with the return of Jesus. And they likely thought that they were being very religious while they did that. They thought they were the ones in the know. Um, and Paul's here to say, mm -mm, that's not the way that this should be working. Um, and they weren't just neutrally idle. They were being disruptive. Paul says they were disruptive. And the word here, disruptive, it's a, it's a military term, which means getting out of order really being disorderly and getting out of rank. You know, this, the church is in a spiritual battle. It has always been. And we're the army of God. And, and an army has to be lined up correctly under the great commander and follow in line in the ways that the commander wants us to be. And he's saying there's some in this Thessalonian church who were not doing that. Um, and these people, they were out of step with the importance of working. They were, out of, they were not being productive, members of their society. 
You know, since the beginning of time, God established this rhythm. Six days we work, and on the seventh, we rest. Exodus uh, 20, 9 and 10. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So work is, being, is part of being made in God's image. It's part of what we are all called to do. And work was part of what Adam and Eve did, even before the fall. Jesus worked. God has work for us to do. And we should all be engaging in meaningful service. And whether that's paid or unpaid work. Um, I, Bart said, I worked here for 15 years with no pay. I did work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I loved it. But it's not about the money you're making. That's, that is not the point here. The point is it's meaningful service, meaningful work that keeps you from being unproductive. And, it, and part of what he's talking about here is not being a freeloader. There's not supposed to be mooching in the body of Christ. Right? We're, we're supposed to work for our food. Um, but these people, they were, they were not following this way of proceeding, and it, and it was causing issues. It was causing a burden on the people in the church that had to have other people taking care of them. It wasn't good for the, for the church itself, and it wasn't good for the individuals who were, who were not working. Um, sitting around is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> Neither is watching Netflix. <laughs> right? We, he's got work for us to do. There's much to be done. There's hundreds of millions of people who need to hear about Jesus. And even those who do know about Jesus, that they need to be loved. He wants us to be productive and to be, to be at work. Um, Paul, Paul used this unflattering term. I read it earlier. Busy bodies. Busy bodies. And this means they were just moving around. They were not doing anything productive. They were not doing any work. They were creating work for other people. They were walking around in circles, and others had to support them. And they were creating chaos. Um, you know, when people have too much time on their hands, they tend to get into trouble. They tend not to be doing something that's helpful to, to others. It's sort of the general way it, it often goes. Um, but it, it, one, um, Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage I thought was interesting. He said this, Persons who have no business of their own to do or who neglect it busy themselves in other men's matters. If we are idle, the devil and a corrupt heart will soon find us something to do. The devil and a corrupt heart will soon find us something to do. The mind of a man is a busy thing. If it be not employed in doing good, it will be doing evil. So these busybodies were likely meddling in other people's affairs and stirring up problems. Um, a busybody is kind of a misnomer. It's usually a busy mouth and not a busybody, not busy doing work. And they, were, they weren't productive. And I just want to say a quick sidebar here. Um, being idle is, um, and taking, is not the same thing as taking time for biblical rest. You know, as, I, as I read earlier, six days we labor and one day we rest. So bi biblical rest is something we should all be 
doing. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about these people were not working most of the time. And then Paul, in contrast, he was, he was telling about his own life and the work of his team. And he was saying, we're not idle. Follow our example. They were working hard and serving. And he was, Paul was a tent maker. He was earning his way. And he was making enough money so he did not have to rely on the churches. And so he wanted to remind them of that. He didn't want to be a burden of, to anyone. And I will say, I have a better understanding about this now, living in another country, and we don't take salary there from either the college where I teach or the hospital where Nate works. We have financial support from many of you in this room, from this church and others outside this church that allows us to really be freed up to serve there and not for people there to feel like they're paying our way. Um, and this is just really... Uh, highlighted to me yesterday when a, one of my Ethiopian friends posted something on his social media about a, um, a Westerner who came and was preaching in our city. And the, my, this friend of mine, he said, he's only here to get money. So his, this friend was thinking, this man is coming and preaching, the, preaching so he'll get money. And I, it just confirmed to me, I don't want anyone there to think I'm there to profit um, so I've really grasped better what Paul is saying here. I want to just be free so the gospel can run freely. We're not, we don't want to be a burden to anyone um, there. So as I think about this, I was trying to think, how can we apply this to, to today? And the, um, I think, of course, there are, there are people in our world, in this country and other places, that are very focused on end times, aren't there? There, there are people who write exclusively about this and preach on this all of the time. So that is something that is happening, sometimes to ne neglect of their family and responsibilities. Um, and so Paul could have been giving this admonition to them to, to get busy and get working. Don't just be talking about that all the time. Also in our world today, there are plenty of people who just aren't working hard. They're depending on others to care for them, and they're not making the effort that they could. And then I've been reading about this sociological phenomenon in America called quiet quitting. Have you heard of this? Some of you have heard of quiet quitting. Um, now, it's not about people who quit their jobs and kept quiet about it, but it's people who, who, who have stayed in their jobs but have decided intentionally to work less but not to tell any their employers about it. So they've scaled back without permission. Um, and it's, it's something called quiet quitting. And the, it started out as trying to have better balance in life. But it's kind of been taken to an extreme of people who just are slacking. They're slacking off in their jobs because they can get away with it. And um, that's different than what the Thessalonians are do were doing, but I think it applies, the same passage and the same concepts apply to that kind of uh, mindset. There's some parallels there. And then some other things that I know are going in, on in America and other places in 2021 was the year of the great resignation, right? People were quitting their jobs left and right. They weren't quiet quitting, they were quitting quitting. And they were leaving their, their jobs and... Um, 
I read some statistics. Before the pandemic, about 48% of people above age 55 were retired. And now that percentage is 50%, over 50%. So a couple percentage points different of people who retire by age 55. And then according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, workforce participation in those 45 to 54 has fallen by 1.5%. And then in those in Gen Z, uh, recent data suggested that 1.4% of them are missing from the workforce. So there's millions of people who are not working in America who are of the age and ability to be able to. And there, there are lots of reasons for that, and I'm not here to discuss that. <laughs> That's another topic um, to, to say why is this happening. But I think this begs a really important question that Paul would have asked. What are these people doing with their extra time? What were those Thessalonians doing with their extra time? And what are the people in America and around the country doing with all the extra time they have when they're not working or they're quiet quitting? Well, some are being productive, of course. Some are planning businesses and exploring other lines of work. And some are depressed. Some are discouraged and are staying at home because they don't feel like they can get up and go anywhere. But I think it's safe to assume some of them are idle and busybodies. Do you agree? Some are busybodies. Many are spending their time on, you guessed it, social media. <laughs> and stirring up plenty of trouble. Um, writing, spending their days promoting controversy and not really loving people well. They're busybodies, not producing anything of value, but causing division and meddling in other people's affairs. God wants us to be living the abundant life, the flourishing life, the productive life. And that's going to look different for each one of us. But part of what I'm just wanting to point out is that this passage applies to us today. The same kinds of problems that Paul faced are Apply, are happening in our world today. Each and every one of us should be productive, not freeloading, not refusing to work, because that violates God's plan. And that was Paul's big objection to this. What they're doing is violating the way God set up the world to work, to work six days and to rest one day. Being a busybody doesn't create anything good. And it doesn't honor God or advance the kingdom in any way. And I think Paul would say to all of us, settle down. Settle into God's plan for us and be a productive citizen in his kingdom. And so then he needs to give them a few instructions about how to do this uh, and how to deal with the people who are, who are not doing the correct thing. He says, and as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So first he's saying, don't get tired of doing what it's good. Kind of like, keep, keep on in Christ's perseverance even with these foolish people around you. 
right? Keep going. Do, don't tire of doing what is good. Do the right things. Um, and he's also exhorting them to keep caring about these brothers and sisters. He wants them to care about, his, about the people who aren't doing it the right way. He, he's not telling them to cut off from them. He's saying to, to be concerned about them. And he has a particular way he wants them to do that. And I think he, part of what he's saying is we're meant to care for each other, even when we're not doing it correctly. We're meant to be involved in each other's lives. So for the busybodies, Paul, Paul's instruction is basically to shame them. It's kind of shocking to me that <laughs> that, that was his technique to shame, to use shame with them, to make them feel ashamed. But that was what he said in hopes that they would be so pained and embarrassed because they wanted to be with their friends in the body of Christ that they would turn and start doing what they should do. And he writes, anyone who does not obey these instructions. So he's warning them not to show favoritism. If it's your, if it's your son who's being a busybody, you still apply this to them. If it's your friend, still apply it to them. Don't show favoritism about this. This is the truth that I'm teaching you to apply it all around. Um, and again, not saying treat them like an unbeliever. There are other places where he says to do that, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying just make them feel ashamed enough that they'll turn and do, want to do things right. So I, I don't know. How, do you feel, how would you feel about doing this? <laughs> I think this sounds kind of painful, doesn't it? But the goal is restoration and right living. And we may, ha we may have to do some hard things to see our brothers and sisters restored in the Lord. And we, wanna, we don't want to egg them on to be disorderly and disruptive. We don't want to cheer people on for being idle. We want to encourage people to serve God and love him and love one another. And so that's what Paul had to say to them. And then he needs to close it out in a typical Paul fashion. He's got some things to say here at the end. So for the closing, in verse 16, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. He's saying, God, give peace at all times. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with them. Um, a few weeks ago, before we left Ethiopia, the devotional I was reading, it suggested that I spend some time just asking God to show me about something about himself that I didn't fully understand. And, and so I sat, and I was reflecting, and I was praying, and I really felt what God said to me was, I want you to have peace. I want you to have peace. He wants me to have peace. He wants you to have peace. Uh, John 14, 27 puts it this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the word peace in this, in this John passage is the same peace that Paul is proclaiming on them. It's the Greek word irene, and Strong's concordance phrases explains it this way. Tranquil state 
of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so, fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot and of whatever sort it is. He wants us to have that. Paul's proclaiming that over them, and that's the peace that Christ wants us to have in our own lives. And I know I struggle. I, str- I get out of peace pretty easily. Um, but God on that day and, and since then is just reminding me, this I'm giving this to you as a gift. Take my gift, my gift of peace that I want. And Paul wants that for this Thessalonian church as well. Um, in the next, he, Paul then does something he often does. He says, Paul, I write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. So he wanted them to know, even though he may have been using a scribe for part of what he was writing, this is his, he signs it in his own handwriting for them to know he's the one that has written this. This isn't one of the false letters that's floating around, but this is directly from him. He is authenticating this letter that he has sent to them. And then the final verse in this uh, series on First uh, and Second Thessalonians is this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And I love how Paul proclaims these blessings, don't you? And he's saying here all, with you all. He's not saying except to the busybodies. He didn't say that. He said all, all, even the ones who are going the wrong way, he's, he's proclaiming this upon them. And he wants them to have this, know this, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with them. And I think it's a great reminder for us about the power of our words, the power of blessing, the power of proclaiming truth. And why not? Why not speak blessings to people? Why not tell them how much you appreciate them? Why not tell them what God wants to do in their lives and how much God loves them or remind them of how God sees them? Why do we not do that? We should. Paul is so, such a great example for us of this. And he's closing this out. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Everything you walk through in this life, all the challenges and the trials and the times of waiting that we have that are difficult and the times we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready now. And he's saying, just wait, just wait. I'm with you. My peace is here with you. He, wa- he wants that. The grace of Christ is for us all. The return of Jesus should motivate us, not demotivate us. The return of Jesus should be what push- pushes us and propels us to keep going. There's people that need to hear about Jesus that live across the street there, that live next to you. There's people who need to be loved. There are people that used to be in church that are hurting and need to be cared for. We have work to do, church. We have work to do. Let's not be busybodies. Let's be people who are strong warriors in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you that, um, for your word in the book of Thessalonians. We thank you that um, we've, we've heard about what you want for the church. And God, we are, we are your church here in this building, um, and we want to do what you say. God, help us. Help us to want to serve you more than what we want of our own um, ideas. Help us to want to proclaim the truth of the gospel to the people around us. Help us want to serve you faithfully, God. Thank you that your grace is with us. Thank you that your peace is what you're offering to us. Thank you, God. We, we give you all praise and all honor and all glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.